and potential. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for including this vignette of the early church in the Word. Uh, we thank you for showing us that things don't always go as we might have hoped or even as we might have planned them to go, but that nevertheless, through these things, you continue to build your church and to build your kingdom. As we reflect on these things together now, we pray that you would help us through the working of your spirit to apply them to our hearts, to the calling that you have given to us, to the mission that you have entrusted to us, your people. Help us to hear then your word today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Partnerships are full of potential and they are full of peril as well. It doesn't matter whether they be business partnerships or marriage, friendship or missions, that is true. And the potential for partnerships is obvious to us, right? Is for increased effectiveness in what we're doing, a greater expansion in what we're doing. Perhaps it can go more quickly because we have a partner and we can share the load with our partners. The peril is, of course, that as we get a partner and we engage in any work that we're doing, partnership involves a level of sharing, it involves a level of openness so that we can work together, and the openness that we have with one another creates vulnerability for us, and then when things go south, they are particularly painful. So partnerships can cause the speed with which we do something to increase because we've got more hands to do it, but the crash that can come after we have gotten up to a high rate of speed can be pretty significant and pretty painful. So here we've got this story of Paul and Barnabas, two of the pillars of the church as a whole, but certainly of the church in Antioch. The pillars, the, the first missionaries really sent out by the church, really commissioned to the work of missions, and they were brothers in Christ, they were partners in ministry, and certainly over the course of the years, their friendship with one another had grown deep. And Luke here tells us the painful story of the dissolving of this relationship between these two foundational men and their foundational partnership. It is not the kind of story that we like to hear. It is certainly not the kind of story that we like to hear about church leadership, about pastors, and we certainly don't want to hear stories like this from our missionaries in particular. We like where Acts chapter 16 continues. So we like the rest of Acts chapter 16 because that's kind of the story of the, the Macedonian calling and the, the going over and Lydia's conversion and then the Philippian jailer. We like to hear stories like that, but, but stories like this one, uh, we, we tend to think to ourselves, maybe we don't say it out loud, but we'd like to hope that church leaders, especially missionaries, should be above this kind of thing that they should be above or immune uh, to this kind of a rupture of relationships that we see taking place here. Theological disagreement, okay. 
You know, when you've got to deal with a theological issue like we saw in Acts chapter 15, that is one thing. But this interpersonal conflict over who should be a member of the team or who should not be a member of the team, if we're honest with us, there's a part of us inside of us that says, really, you guys couldn't work this out. This really seems petty for you two men not to be able to come to agreement over this. Luke is giving us the real story here. The unedited real story of the expansion of the church, of missions, and it is not always pretty. As a missionary for many years, I can testify to you of the incredible amount of conflicts that were experienced with members of a mission team. And the conflicts that existed when you rejected some people who really wanted to be a part of your team, and you accepted others because you thought, this is really going to be a good team member, and then it turns out after a couple of years you realize that was a bad decision. I was wrong about that one. Over the fights that we had, and for those of you who don't know, we were on the mission field for 12 years um, in, in Ukraine. The fights that we had over directions about the strategy that we should employ, the direction that we should go, whether we should move to church plant in that city or in that city. We fought over those things. Missions is not always pretty. I used to tell this story in another lifetime when we first came back, our first HMA, home ministry assignment, after having been on the field for a couple of years. I used to say this, I watched my wife cry more in the first year of being on the mission field than I had seen her cry in all of the years of marriage put together before that. There was a time for like a year on the mission field where I had to have Lauren read every email that I wrote so that I didn't say something that would be overly offensive or that would effectively get us kicked off the field and out of MTW. It is not easy. And, and so part of me, as, as a missionary, wants to say this about this passage. The more that we idealize missions and missionaries, the easier it becomes for us to distance ourselves from participation in mission. In other words, the higher you put, I can really get personal here, in particular, the higher you put missionaries up on a pedestal, the more unreachable they become, the more they don't seem like real people. This is distance. This is something that belongs to somebody else, but it doesn't belong to me. Well, instead, God has a plan for his church, and the plan for the church is for the mission to continue through partnerships through partnerships in the gospel, whether they be partnerships on the field with missionaries who are going out or partnerships with local churches, the plan is for it to continue. And that's what I want us to see in the midst of this passage that is right here. The mission continues, the problems continue, and partnerships continue. The mission continues. The first thing that I want to show us from this passage is something that is easy for us to overlook. But it is an impulse that lies at the very core of the Christian, and it lies at the core of the church. It is an impulse that exists within us 
because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our hearts. It is seen in a couple of verses here that I'm just going to read again quickly for us. Verse 36, the first one. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. In verse 41, they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And in 16.5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. The impulse that I'm talking about that lies at the heart of the Christian and the heart of the church is the concern for the welfare of others. And that's put in language that's a little bit different for us intentionally. Concern for the welfare of others. The Spirit works that inside of us, and it's exactly what we see Paul reflecting as he communicates to Barnabas. He says, let's go and see how the people are doing in the churches that we have planted. He wants to know of their welfare. Is the word of the Lord that they proclaim to them bearing fruit? How are the elders doing in the churches that they had appointed? Are they growing in strength as churches? Are they increasing in numbers as churches? And of course, the desire behind this that Paul has, that Barnabas has, is to help, is to help however they can. I want to hear how you're doing, but I'm just not just, I'm not doing a survey. I'm not doing a a survey here of disinterest. I want to know how you are doing because I want to know how we can help you get stronger in the Lord, get stronger in the work of the church. In the letter uh, to the Philippians, Paul writes to the Philippians saying that he is planning to send Timothy to them. And that's the same Timothy that we're going to meet in chapter 16 that I just read about. He says of Timothy that he will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. The implication there is not not everybody is. Not everybody is genuinely concerned for the welfare of others, but Timothy, as I send him to you, I know that he will be concerned with you. And Paul notes this of Timothy, that his concern for their welfare is a reflection, it's an overflow of the concern that Jesus has for their welfare. You can look at it later in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul sends him. It's the heart of the mission of the church, this desire to know how people are and how we can contribute to their welfare. Paul sends Timothy to Philippi and he says, for this reason, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Paul's heart will be cheered when he hears how the Philippians are doing. It's a concern for their welfare that leads right to his heart. The mission continues because and as concern for the welfare of others continues. Let me just pause here and take a a little moment of application in the midst of, of the sermon, even at this stage. Do what you are able to do to fan the flame within you of a concern for the welfare of others. Do what you can 
to foster an impulse of the Holy Spirit that is inside of you that says, do not be concerned only for your own interests, but also look out for the interests of others. Set those above yourselves. Parents, this is one of the things, one of the key things that you are looking to develop in your children. You do not have to teach them to be self-interested. Guaranteed. They've got that down. What you have to labor to teach them through the Holy Spirit in their lives and in their hearts is how to be concerned for the welfare of others, to take opportunities to demonstrate that for them, to take opportunities that are offered in the church to demonstrate that for them, how to be concerned for others and not just for ourselves. That is at the heart of our missions. But as missions continues, so do the problems that are associated with it continue as well. There is absolutely no smooth sailing when you are engaged in a mission to others. None. We've talked about this before. You might think that there should be. You might think that this is God's work, this is God's mission that I'm doing, and it should be easier than this, but it is not. There is no smooth sailing. The story of Acts is the story of the growth of the kingdom through tribulations, right? Through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God, end of Acts chapter 14. That could be a summary verse for the entire book of Acts. Now, that tribulation, we've seen it over the course of the last couple of chapters. The tribulation could be the persecution that is endured by the missionaries, by the church at various stages along the way. The tribulation could be the dissensions and debates that exist within the church over theological issues, and now we see a new dimension to this, and that is an interpersonal conflict that takes place within those who are the called-out missionaries of the church. It is a sharp disagreement over whether or not to take John Mark on this next journey. So typically, we view this as the beginning of the second missionary journey. Should they take John Mark, and John and Mark, just his Hebrew and Greek names uh, respectively. Uh, John Mark had come with them, or at least had started with them, back in Acts chapter 13. Verse 5, we read this, and they had John to assist them. So he comes along as a little helper in this ministry. Clearly, Paul and Barnabas are primary, but he is there. And then at some point along the way, verse 13 of chapter 13, we read this, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So he started with them, and at some point along the way in this journey, he left. And Luke, at that point, doesn't give us any commentary. He doesn't give us any of the details why he left. Was there a problem at home that he had to get back to or he felt he had to get back to? Did he get sick? Was it a physical thing? Did he get afraid of what they had experienced? Did he say, you know what, this just isn't for me, and I am going back home? But in any case, he left. And clearly, Paul, as he views this situation, so he left us before, he's with us now, are we going to take him or not on the next journey? Paul, when he looks at John Mark, sees some level of culpability, some character weakness, some kind of character deficiency, something in John Mark that makes him say, we can't take this guy again. 
Now, we've all experienced this, right? There's, there's all times when somebody has disappointed us significantly, and we say, you know, the next time, the next time I'm not taking this person with, with me because I can't trust them. And that's essentially the message that we're getting from Paul, is he failed us once, and I don't want to take him again and have him fail us one more time. Barnabas reads, of course, the situation differently. Barnabas is the son of encouragement, and we have seen him throughout the book of Acts function as a peacemaker. Function is someone you can trust to hear everybody, to listen, to make sense, to bring potentially competing sides together. Barnabas, by the way, other part of Scripture, is John Mark's cousin. I don't think that's the main reason that he likes him, but it is a fact that we ought not to ignore. They are family uh, with one another. And yet, as Barnabas looks at this, he says, in language that I think would be appropriate for us to say, you know what, Paul? Let's give him a second chance. He's grown since the last time. He's really matured in his faith. He's a different person than he was back then. Yes, he failed us once, but he won't do it again. Let's take him along with us in this ministry. It is a dispute about ministerial qualifications. And it's a very basic question. Who do you work well with? Who do you get along with? Who do you want next to you in a ministry? And who would you prefer not to have next to you in a ministry? And you can look at it on the big level like this of missions, but it exists on lots of small levels as well. Who would you like to serve in the nursery with? And who do you think you wouldn't like to partner with in serving in the nursery? Who would you like to teach a Sunday school class with? And who do you think, you know what, that might not be the best combination. Last time I taught with that person, uh, they didn't carry the weight as much as I carried the weight. What do you do? Do you do it again? Do you not do it again? How about somebody you serve on a committee with or somebody you serve with on the session? Is this a good fit for us or is it not a good fit for us? Is this deacon good for the diaconate or is it going to be a distraction? These are questions that we all get. We all ask them. Whether we ask them out loud or whether we just think about them subtly, we all think about who I could work well with and who I wasn't, wouldn't be able to work well with. Anyway, they've got to make a decision, and there's a hot debate that exists between the two of them, and Luke doesn't gloss over it. He could have, but he doesn't. And it reflects how easily we can offend one another over, over other people. I mean, these two guys have been through so much together that it seems like surely they'd have, they could have come to some kind of a compromise on this situation, but they can't. As we seek to serve, we can easily offend one another, and we need to consider things carefully and wisely. And again, as one who served many years as a missions team leader, I will tell you that some of our hottest debates were over these issues. Some of the deepest hurt was when we had, were when times when we had to say, no, that person can't go. Or, yes, this is the right person when somebody else thought, no, this is not the right person for this particular work that we've got. Now, let me just point out something to us, just as we're working our way through Acts here. I'd like to just point out that this debate, do we take John Mark or not, was not resolved by the casting of lots. So just for example, in the early portion of Acts, when we were trying to find another apostle to take the place of Judas, there was the casting of lots, right? We had two candidates who were here, 
and you cast the lots and you see to whom the lot falls, and that one is the one that we recognize having been called by God. There's no casting of lots here. There is likewise no word from the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit has done a lot of speaking. In fact, it was the Holy Spirit who identified Barnabas and Paul by name. Set apart for me, Acts 13, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the work to which I have called them. Couldn't we just say, Spirit of God, listen, we just need one more word. Is, Tim, is, is Mark a part of that or not? Just give us one more statement to tell us whether or not to take Mark. But what I think we can see, and I noted this last week as we were talking about the interaction between the apostles and the elders of the churches, is that Acts is moving us in a transition. Now, the Holy Spirit hasn't stopped working or stopped acting, but this is a sense, there's a sense to which these guys need to wrestle through this decision. They need to weigh the various pros and cons. And the same is true for us. God has called us to unity as a body, to unity with one another, and I bet that there's not a single person in this room who hasn't been deeply offended and in deep conflict with a brother or with a sister in Christ. Now, let's be clear. This passage is not for us. It's not an excuse for conflict. You're not supposed to read this and go, well, just see, conflict happens, uh, and so be it. We'll move on to the next thing. It's not an excuse, but at least it is for us a reminder not to be shocked, not to be completely caught off guard, not to immediately write something off as if this is not of the Lord because there is conflict or disagreement in a particular situation. We all, Paul, Barnabas, John, Mark, you and I, all of us are sinners and all of us have a tendency or at least the potential for conflict. I know some of you describe yourselves as conflict avoiders. Some of you delight in conflict. But all of us are going to end up in conflict, whether you're an avoider or someone who delights in it. We're going to end up at times having conflict with others. And Luke gives us a dose of realism. No idealism here. Sometimes you're going to have sharp disagreements with one another over the ministry. So who was right? Who was right? Was Paul right or was Barnabas right in this setting? And by the way, you do not have to fear anything in terms of the authority of Paul or Barnabas or Peter in an earlier situation in their apostolic life. They got things wrong sometimes, not as they record Scripture for us, but in their lives. So Paul could be wrong here, or Barnabas could be wrong here. Well, Luke doesn't provide an answer to that. He doesn't give us an answer key and say, okay, and at the end of the day, Barnabas was right and Paul was wrong. So we should be very cautious in uh, trying to answer who was right and who was wrong. The fact of the matter is we're not going to hear from Barnabas again in the book of Acts, and the rest of it is going to focus on Paul. The fact of the matter is also that this uh, John Mark will, uh, will come to write a gospel named Mark. That's no small thing in particular. And Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, will say this of John, of Mark, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. 
So who was right and who was wrong at this particular time, I'm not sure. But I tell you what, I am 100% sure that Paul, later in life, was thankful that Barnabas didn't write off John Mark. Because John Mark, who left, became for Paul useful in ministry, somebody he sought out. Obviously, with this next story, I'm not going to tell you a name, but there was a guy in Presbytery with whom I had disagreements, or we were on different sides of an issue uh, a couple of years ago. And we didn't know one another, okay? But it was a pretty intense issue, and we were on opposite sides of it, not from our church, from another, from another church. And we didn't really speak to one another, we just glared at each other, okay? Now, I know you think, okay, that, that kind of thing shouldn't happen in Presbytery, but it did. So we, we, we kind of avoided in hallways and things like that and glared at each other uh, in various contexts. And I am so thankful that just a month ago, I sat down and had a breakfast with this guy. We had reconciled a couple of years back. At one point, I went up to him and I said, listen, I'm sick of this. We have got to talk this through and work through this. And he is a good brother of the Lord and a fellow servant in the church of Christ. Praise God. Praise God for second chances. Praise God that neither of these men quit the ministry that God had entrusted to them. The mission continues, problems continue, and partnerships continue. And so it wasn't ideal. This wasn't the way they drew it up, but the result that comes out of this is two missionary teams instead of one. Now, if you've been around the church for a while, there's an awful word. It's called a splant. Uh, so a splant takes place not when a church decides to plant another church, a splant takes place when there is such conflict that arises within a church that an entire group of the congregation, this whole side of the congregation, gets mad at this side of the congregation and leaves. So we're going to start our own church. Now, that's not the general design that we'd like to have for church planting, but it happens, and when it happens, it's not a split, it's a splant. Because coming out of it are two churches instead of one, and coming out of this are two mission teams. So Barnabas takes John Mark and they go through Cyprus, which is where the first missionary journey started. So they take the course across the uh, sea or that small portion of the sea and they continue to visit and minister to the churches that are in Cyprus. And Paul assembles a new team and heads north and west with this new team. God is pleased when his people work together. Jesus gathered up 12 disciples. Now, mind you, they were not the easiest group of guys to get along with, not with one another and not with Jesus either, but he gathers them up. And when he sends them out, he sends them out together. And the early church mirrors exactly the way Jesus sent out people. Partnership or teamwork is essential to the mission of the church. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in the churches. You can't do it by yourself. David was a great warrior, but he needed these other guys, guys who were ambidextrous, who could sling a stone just as well with one hand as they could with the other, guys who could run, guys who could do various things in battle. The church needs that as well. We've got to have partners in the ministry. And the Kirklands are here, and a couple of weeks ago, they had a couple of friends with them who were seeking to become their partners in the ministry, partners in the ministry that they've got going on 
in grace. We need partners. We need the support. We need the counsel. We need the accountability. It is the way that we serve. It is the way that we image for people love of brothers and sisters for one another as we're seeking to plant a church. We show that within our team. And it is also the way that you train people for ministry. Partnership is the way you get people ready to serve the Lord in various capacities. And Paul will do that throughout his particular ministry. Uh, The verse that I put on the front of your bulletin from 2 Timothy 1 and 2. Paul saying to Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's a critical thought. Paul had picked Timothy up along the way. And now as he's instructing Timothy, and this is of course years after this one is taking place right here, As he instructs Timothy, he's able to say, listen, I picked you up. I instructed you. I allowed you to minister with me. You saw how I did the work of the ministry. Now, you do the same thing and entrust it to faithful men who will also be able to do the same thing. Gather up, Timothy, people around you so that you can transfer this to them as well. Now, let's be specific from this text. Paul does not go it alone. Paul's very gifted. And yet, he doesn't just say, all right, well, John and and Barnabas are going off this way. Let me get a couple of baggage handlers from Antioch. Surely, Surely, there were some people who could carry the bags from Antioch, and I'll continue on in the journey. Even Paul, as gifted as he was, as significant as he was, recognizes the importance of having a partner, and that a strategic partner. And so he seeks out Silas. We had met Silas a little earlier in Acts chapter 15. He was one of the leaders from the church in Jerusalem. And he had come up to Antioch uh, to uh, participate in the sharing of the good news that came out of the council, out of the letter. And Paul says, I want that guy. And so what we end up with here is a partnership between two key men, Paul and Silas, but also between the two key centers of Christianity between Jerusalem and Antioch, Silas representing Jerusalem and Paul representing Antioch. And along the way, they add Timothy, who is apparently uh, a convert from Paul's first missionary journey into this area. And later on, right here in uh, Acts chapter 16, we're going to see that Luke joins this as well. So the people with whom they partner become significant in the life of the early church, Luke himself being part of this as well. Now, one parenthesis to note in here is this circumcision of Timothy. Clearly, Paul does not circumcise Timothy for his salvation. That would be completely contradictory to the entire first part. But because His father was Greek, his mother was Jewish, that means you're counted Jewish. His father, the way this is written, had apparently died, and Paul doesn't want any hindrance in the ministry to the Jews. The gospel may cause offense, but there's no reason for this to cause offense, and so he has Timothy circumcised so that they can continue together. And this partnership is crucial to the ministry. Partnership, life on life, is crucial to the ministry. I was involved in a ministry for years that had this question of everybody they talked to, who's your man? Or who's your woman? Or who are your men? Or who are your women? Who are the people in whom you are investing your life, with whom you're in ministry, or who are investing in your life? Where are they? Christian, you can't go it alone. Who are the people 
who have access to your life. Doesn't need to be everybody, can't be everybody, but who are the people who have access to your life? It's a critical question for each of us so that partnerships continue and the mission continues. So to bring this together, Jesus continues his mission to the world through the church. And the conflicts that we experience inevitably along the way drive us back to him. The title that I gave for the series in the book of Acts is To Be Continued. To be continued. This mission is to be continued. These partnerships in the gospel are to be continued by us. And so then the question comes to you in a form but with slightly different words than what I used a couple of weeks ago. How can you reduce the degree of separation between you and missions? How can you take one step closer to the work of missions? How can you engage in missions abroad, in missions here in this church? Uh, let me just give you a couple ways this week. Check in with a friend. Check in on the welfare of someone else this week. Perhaps forgive an offense this week. Perhaps for the rest of October, if you don't have this as a practice in your family, perhaps you can take a night of the week. Take Tuesday nights, take Monday nights, and pray for a missionary. Pray for a particular missionary each Tuesday night. Dads, lead this in your family devotions or before a meal to pray for someone specifically. Here's another way. There are invitations sitting right back there. Have you invited anybody to the concert yet? Don't be ashamed. Don't be deterred by fear. This is going to be a great concert. It's an easy thing to invite somebody to. Invite somebody into the orbit of the church by extending them an invitation to this concert. Or you want to help? You want to partner with somebody? Maria's not here. Ask Maria Signorino. Listen, do you need any help in the nursery? That would be novel for Maria not, ha not to have to ask someone, but for, for someone to ask Maria that. Or to say to Mike LaRusso, hey, do you guys need any help with the concert? Rebecca, you need any help doing some of the details together for the concert? See how you can participate and continue this. See how you can partner with others. To the glory of King Jesus, may he strengthen our faith, increase our numbers as we partner together in the gospel. Let me pray for us.